And thank you for listening. That was a pre-recorded Your Life, Your Health with Dr. George Bell. Dr. George Bell of the Central Neighborhood Health Foundation. Hello, folks. It is Kenny Hendricks here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network, and it is time for Change Matters. We do this each and every Tuesday here on the Intentional Talk Radio Network. It's a beautiful Tuesday here, and we are going to have a great, great conversation. So make sure you tell a neighbor, tell a friend about the Change Matters movement. We're going to have a great conversation tonight. We've got the one and only A.J. Ali, the gentleman who has produced several movies, but his big one right now is called um, Walking Wild Black. Love is the answer. He's done a ton of work with uh, police agencies around around the country uh, talking about how to get past this sort of impasse that we have between our community and, and, and law enforcement agencies across the country. You know, we, we see, uh, people being, uh, misused, uh, sometimes, sometimes, I can't even talk, sometimes even killed. And it, and it, it becomes, it has become such a, um, a normal thing to us. We've become somewhat, somewhat immune to it. It just happens so often and there, there has to be an answer and, 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 uh, AJ, uh, his his answer is love's the answer that we've got to love each other, and um, again, this is a great movie. He has shown it all across the, this great nation. He's shown it, and I couldn't tell you exactly how many law enforcement law enforcement agencies have played it, but it's a great movie. If you get a chance, you can Google it at uh, Love Is the Answer. You just Google AJ Ali Love is, uh, Walking While Black Love Is the Answer, and this came out of the fact that he was actually uh, had an experience. With some police, he was living, I believe, and it was in Maryland or somewhere like that, like Prince George County, somewhere in Maryland. And cops accosted him one night, and fortunately, nothing really, really bad happened. But he found, knew that there was some sort of issue, and that we needed to have some way of addressing this. And so his his program, Love Is the Answer, is what we're going to be talking about. He's been on the program several times before. And uh, he's, a, he's a friend of Intentional Talk Radio, and we love having him on here because he brings a great deal of insight into what's going on out there. And uh, talk, he loves talking about his the documentary, documentary that he did. He loves talking about the issues. And so it should be a really, really uh, great conversation. So find a neighbor, find a friend, find a family member, get somebody else to sit down and listen with you because there's some good things that are going to come out of this. So, again, A.J. Ali. Walking while black, love is the answer. And so let's take a look at what's going on in the world today. Right now, we're waiting on my co-host Colette Williams to uh, get in. She had been, had something else going on, but she should be in shortly. Um, looking to see what's going I'm on. Here. Oh, you're there. <laughs> I didn't even see you come in. <laughs> How did I make that entrance and you didn't see me? <laughs> you got to make a grander entrance. <laughs> I guess so. Make some noise. Yeah. Here, huh? Yeah, yeah. So here we are. So what's going on? Yes, here we are. You're out there on the left. You're out there on the left coast today. So yeah, on the left coast, you guys right here. And as they say, it never rains in California and it ain't raining. And let me tell you, it is sweltering in California. It is hotter than fish. Let me tell you this. Speaking of the left coast. And let me preface this by saying I'm not a Democrat. I'm a left-leaning, independent, left-leaning because I think there's some things on the right that that makes sense. I watched a video today. Apparently, in San Francisco, in San Francisco, the local government is paying people 
now get this, paying people to not shoot each other. They're paying people to to not shoot each other. Shoot each other? Yes. Yes. I sat there with my mouth agape saying, WTF, are you effing kidding me? Paying people not to not shoot. shoot each other. Now, is that specifically for a group of people or is that for all of the members of the San Francisco area? Well, they, they are starting, I think they said they're starting with 10 people and what they're trying to do is target, and they didn't use the term gang. I'm going to use the term gang because that's really the truth of it. Of it. They're targeting certain gang members and they're hoping, and they're paying them $300. What? Yeah, $300. And they are hoping they will be able to take that back, not the money, but take the message back and stop shooting each other. That is in freaking sane. Got to pay people. Got to pay people to not, stop was, shooting each other. And interestingly enough, there's a gentleman, Colin Noir, who's uh, his brother, who's a, as a matter of fact, Andriana knows him uh, from Houston. Um, and he's a big time gun guy uh, on on uh, YouTube. Young guy, I think he said he's thirty eight. Um, he did a great segment on the whole gun control thing because California has some of the strictest gun control laws out there. You can you can't have a high capacity magazine. You've got the ten day waiting period. You have to have background checks to buy ammo. All this, and they still can't get people to stop shooting each other. They're going to have to pay people. To stop shooting one another. You know what? There's something drastically wrong with that. I don't care what anybody says. There's something wrong with that when people have to be paid to stop shooting each other. It's one thing to pay people to get the vaccine, but it's something altogether different when people have to be paid in order to stop shooting one another. That's why I wanted AJ to be on the broadcast this afternoon, because something is extremely wrong with society. Something is terribly wrong with the things that are going on. This is wrong. And as I mentioned to you, Ken, Troy was in L.A. two weeks ago. And when he got back to Dallas, he sent me a text and said, California is so it's an unfortunate scene right now. It's so unfortunate. I just came from Pasadena and I thought you got to be kidding. Pasadena looks identical to LA. Hmm. It's that bad. It's that bad. People are laying all over the street like homeless people in LA. It is a shame where we find ourselves here in 2021. Mm -hmm. The pandemic the shootings, and now people are being paid. And, not to shoot. and by the way, speaking of shootings, Chicago, 66 people shot over the, over the Labor Day weekend. 66, 66 people? people shot over the, and There's again, no and again, and again, one of the states, well, one of the cities with some of the strictest gun laws in the country. There's no excuse. There's no excuse. And the mayor, stop talking about the fact that she looks like a man. Get down to business and <laughs> stop dealing with those silly things. Stop talking about her appearance and talk about what has to be done mm-hmm. in the city. That's what needs to be talked about. We, we are. This country is in dire straits. This is in dire you know, straits. And I don't hear any good things at all. 
I don't hear anything good. And it's apt to get worse before it gets better. And that that's that's a scary thought. Yes. You've got yes. these these white militias talking about a civil war. They are itching for a civil war. They mm-hmm. want somebody to start something. Mm-hmm. You know. They really and, do. and it, the way things are going, yeah, the way things are going, and there it looks like a civil war, but we're already at a point where man's inhumanity to man is out the window. But people do things that are just so, as far as I'm concerned, are just really, I'm sure you heard about the people that were shot over a parking space. On Long Beach. Yeah, I did read that. Yeah, Long Beach. Yeah, over a parking space. How does somebody get shot over a parking space? And the parking space doesn't have a name on it. Remember the guy when, when we were going through the uh, Costco parking lot the other day? Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, AJ, we, we were uh, going through the Costco parking lot. I, I got gas and I looped back around. There was a lot of people there. And one guy was kind of blocking the exit. And it was an Asian guy. And I just kind of tooted my horn. Hey, let me get through. He got all upset. He jumps out of his car, starts throwing his hands around. And I sat there thinking... This guy has no idea that I've got a gun on my hip right here. Right. You know, I've got my license, by the way. I'm not just some <laughs> some random <laughs> punk out there with a gun. I've got my license. I've had it over 10 years. So I'm a law-abiding citizen. But he has no idea, you know. And so, you know, years ago when I was much younger, I might have got out of my car and got into a, a shouting match with him. You know, I'm much older now, and I know that I'm carrying a weapon, and I am not going to put myself in a position where I, been, where I end up having to use it. Okay, so Yolanda, I just Corlett, I turned around, said he's not worth it, and just went went the, yeah. went the other way. And we went out another way, and you the know, guy because just, you just, just don't know. Yeah, just caring up. People have lost humanity, and that's what Troy said. People have turned from God, lost humanity, and we find ourselves in dire straits. We find ourselves in an area, in a place where we've never been before. Nobody could ever have imagined that, oh my God, $300 to be given to be a good citizen. San Francisco will begin paying people not to harm, shoot others. That's absolutely insane. We'll be paying ex-criminals staying on the straight and narrow. This is incredible. This is most. Oh, by the way, and $300 per month. Or how public safety ambassadors. Not, yeah, not not just $300 one time, $300 per month. Mr. Russell, tell us about you and give us your background. I, I know your name from somewhere. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so listen, I, I thank you, um, Ms. Williams, for the indirect invite through my, my good friend, AJ Ali. It's good to be here with you, Mr. Hendricks. And Mr. Hendricks, I'm so glad you got that permit. God bless you. Hallelujah. And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, but yeah, and I encourage I encourage everyone to do the same. Amen, amen. Listen, I I spent almost forty years in law enforcement. I'm from Baltimore City. I'm I'm born and raised. I don't live there now. I'm I'm a stone throw away, just a state away. Um, I still have most of my family in Baltimore City. I retired um, in 2019, not of my own doing, but it was an ultimatum: either do this or retire. And uh, I've had nothing but a stellar career. Nothing but a stellar career. And so I, I, the other one would indicate that I've done something wrong throughout my career. So I decided to retire. And so I spent almost 40 years with the Baltimore Police Department. 20 of those years was spent in narcotics doing undercover work. 
locked up a lot of people, probably helped more people. I stopped counting in 91, 92, where I've locked up not 5,000 people for, you know, just not dropping trash, but shootings, homicides, a lot of drugs, you know, kingpins all over the city, all over the country, all over the world, really taking down and dismantling drug organizations. Um, but I'm more proud of the people that I've helped because I've helped tons and thousands and thousands of people to get out of the game, um, do the right thing, help communities get back on their feet, help our young people at risk. So we did a plethora of things throughout our career, rose through the ranks. I was the first African-American to graduate from the Baltimore Police Academy in 1981 um, as a uh, class valedictorian. There has not been an African-American male to do it since. And, and, and that's, that's sad to me. That is really sad. Two females did it 20 and 27 years later, but to think in the history of the police department, Baltimore City, only three African-Americans, one male and two females have only were the ones who graduated top in the class when it's in a predominantly an African-American city. It, it speaks volumes to the system. And that's all I'm going to say about that. The system that we, we are working in and that we are living in, the culture of policing in America, certainly in Baltimore City. Um, but I was able to rise through the ranks slower than most of my, my cohorts, it took me twice as long because I didn't take shortcuts. Um, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't cheat. I didn't do favors. I didn't lie. You know, my integrity and my name was more important to me. So, but God bless me because promotions do come from him, not from man. And so by the time I retired, I retired at the full rank of colonel and one of the acting deputy commissioners of the department, which I am very proud of. And so what I see in policing today is not the policing that I grew up in. Um, there's more emphasis on the protection rather than the service, protect and serve. And because we put more emphasis on the protection, it has gotten twisted. It has gotten uh, accelerated to the point where it's gotten um, overly aggressive. And that's why you have all that you have. Um, and, and the service piece have gone, has fallen by the wayside where we don't really care about the service piece, or at least our actions say we don't care about the service, which is all those tremendous things we do for our communities, building partnerships and working with our kids and having power centers and getting in our community organizations and helping them and helping our young people not go to jail. And if they go to jail, helping them not go back to jail. All that stuff is falling by the wayside. And all we want to do is pound the ground and zero tolerance and lock up everything that moves. And so we've gotten away from traditional good police work. And I'm not saying everything has always been great in policing, but it was a lot better than it is right now. And that's a shame. That is a shame. Let's go back to AJ. Yeah, can you hear me now? We got you there. Yeah, you much better, AJ, much better. Awesome, awesome. So, uh, Colette, Kenny, thank you again for having me back on. Thank you for having uh, Melvin on, uh, who is uh, a dear brother. And, uh, you know, we, he, has, um, he has earned my, my, my trust and respect and love. And uh, with him being a peace officer, I have people, including some family members, telling me, why in the world are you, are you friends with cops? <laughs> and none of them good, right? But uh, he he has proven to me that uh, you know not only is he good, a good man, but there are many many like him, and that's why we do the work that we do. Nat Austin uh, is is with us as well. Uh, he's part of our team. Mel's part of our team now. Um, you know, I want to address that that three hundred dollars a month uh, to become a public safety ambassador. You know, I, I I say let's give it a shot. You know, crazier things have been thought up, right? So if if you're paying someone to love on someone, I don't see that as a bad thing. If, if people are just 
getting the money for, 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 for doing nothing in hopes that they don't hurt someone, then I can, I can, I can see where, you know, we would criticize it right off the bat, but they've put together a program and I don't know all the ins and outs, but anytime we can get someone trained to love on people, let's, let's pay them, you know, got to make a living, you know, and, and that gets them one step further away from recidivism. Right. If somebody's got some money coming in and they're doing a good thing, maybe they're not going to have to turn to the bad thing, because at the end of the day, you got to eat. You got to you got to feed your family. You got to take care of them. And I think this might be a good step forward. I don't know yet. We'll we'll see what the results are. But I'm certainly going to reach out to them and see if we can help out. Uh, We have a new program under Love is the Answer. That's a mentoring circle training program where we're teaching people how to love other people in, 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 in group settings where you have four mentors for one mentee. And so when I heard about that program, my first thought was, well, let me see if I can get these folks who are going to be in this program some free spots to, to learn how to be a mentor, learn how to love on someone, because I don't know what kind of training they're going to get. You know, if they're going to tell them to put on this yellow vest and walk around and you know, and break up fights. I don't know what it's going to look like, but I'm, I'm thinking it could be a really, really good thing if they get the proper training. Uh, you if bring I, up I, a good, good point. Quick. I never, I never push back on my brother. I'm sorry, Kenny. Um, and I'm not pushing back now, but he said a key word training, right? If they're passing out and I don't know anything about the program, but I know about helping people get out of that lifestyle, whatever that lifestyle is, illegal lifestyle. Um, I, I built out a reentry program, and I know this: if you don't sit down with them and train them and change that mindset, right? If you're just handing out checks, all you're doing is empowering what they do even more, right? That three hundred dollars is not going to go towards anything good if you're not putting anything in them besides putting some money in their hand. It will do nothing. It will be disastrous. However, if they put some training in place, like love is the answer with my good friend and make them go through mandatory training. Then there's a different story. And then I'm not thinking like you call it right now. That's insane. Cause right now that's what I'm thinking. That's insane. Just to give somebody money to stop shooting. They'll take the money and then hire somebody for 50 bucks, right? Hire somebody for 25 bucks. Cause that's what these kids, that's all it takes to go shoot somebody for them. And they still pocket $250, right? So without the, without the training in place, I'm telling them, I'm begging them, whoever's putting this program together, mm-hmm. if you have not put a training in place, deliberate training, sitting these guys down and putting some pen to paper and making them sign some type of MOU, this is what you have to do in order to receive this money, then I'm telling you it's a failed project before it starts. But if they have already done that, then I'll be the first one to jump up and down and say kudos Way to think and, and, and Melvin, you stole my thunder. That is exactly what I was going to say because I can hear them coming back now. And, and AJ, you mentioned, you know, you got to eat. I can hear them coming back saying, what am I going to do with $300? You know, I can go rob a liquor store and I can get $600. I can rob a hair salon and get another couple of hundred dollars. I can go do this. I can go do that. Just like a lot of people will say, you know, I can't work at McDonald's and, you know, feed my family. So I can see that. But if now, now, granted, I don't know any background on it either. I don't know if they've got a training program. But again, it's the mindset, as Melvin was saying, it's the mindset. You've got to change that mindset. Otherwise, otherwise, you're just throwing money at them. 
and you're just throwing money at the pro- pro- problem and it's not going to come up with anything. There has to be a problem. There has to be some sort of uh, um, uh, impetus for them to, to want to do that because also many of them are going to be saying, oh, you're a snitch, man. You know, right. and, and so and many, they, they're not going to want to be involved. Go ahead, Colette. And remember, and remember, San Francisco, the Bay Area, all of California, it is extremely expensive. So $300, how far will $300 go? Not far. So $300 does what? It barely puts food on the table for a week. Mm-hmm. It, you can't have food on the table and gas. So you're going to have to decide, is it going to be gas or is it going to be food on the table with that $300? So they're getting $300 every month. What else are they getting? Probably not much. And remember, unemployment, well, they don't have unemployment. Every, all of the extras, all of the extra money that people have been getting for the last year and a half, that's drying up. It's done. It's over. Especially here in California. The moratorium on rents, it's over in California. Done. See you. Bye. So that $300, although it may sound like it's very good and we're paying people to be good to other people, which I think is a horrible thing, but it's a good thing if it's done the right way. What we need to do now is talk about changing the mindset of people mm-hmm. instead of talking about let's give them $300 because $300 just might piss them off. Okay. It just might piss them off because it's not a lot of money in California. Yeah. It's not a lot of money. So and, and the other thing is that, it, and I'll let you finish, but how do you quantify that? Because when you have goals, they have to be measurable. How do you measure that? How do you measure he hasn't shot anybody this month? I mean, I know you can measure the, the overall crime rate and overall people getting shot. But, you know, how are you going to actually prove that that the, the cause and effect? And Nat, you had your hand up. Go ahead. Go ahead and unmute yourself first. How are you, Mr. Alston? Fine, Colette and Kenny. Thank you for and AJ, thank you for inviting me on and. Absolutely. I always joke and saying uh, my background covers what's on my wall there as far as Maryland a little bit there in terms of law enforcement. But um, for going to the background of me, I want to look at it from, again, and AJ knows this and Mel, at 30,000 feet up. One, many organizations are looking at now the employment of returning citizens. You may call them ex-offenders, but the words out there is returning citizens. Number two, California and you, Colette and Kenneth, you both being out there in California, California has always been the R&D for the nation. When I say R&D, research and development, any new projects, any new ideas, it's always coming out of California. It's fine-tuned, and then it permeates to the East Coast. And I can definitely give you examples particularly in a variety of fields, but San Francisco and really not so much San Francisco, but the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, and all down there, Burlingame and all has been really the epicenter of new innovations coming out, new critical thoughts. So they've addressed this. And I'm not saying I'm for it or against it, but I'm looking at it right now to say, okay, they're trying something. They may want to work out the, the kinks in it, but at least that's an idea. 
when you flashed it on the screen, the other thing that I looked at was the optics. First thing we saw, $300 going to ex-felons. First thing, you get immediate response. What we've got to do is, all right, let's drill down what you all are saying. And I totally agree. The training, the selection of the right people, the monitoring of that, all of those factors have got to be included in there. So I want to drill down deep and see what the program is all about. But what we've said, and, and you both being in the media, you know how optics can be. As soon as I saw, boom, $300 ex-felons, hoping that they don't shoot anybody or try to reduce the shooting, oh, the conservative media and everybody else is going to jump on it and say, see what they're doing out in San Francisco. They're paying ex-felons to not shoot somebody. And we can twist that around and do whatever. So I want us to keep that in mind that we've got to drill down. And I'm hoping when, once I saw it, I want to drill down and see what are they doing in terms of the selection, the monitoring of that? Who does these groups report to? Is it somebody in the social services arena or is it in the corrections arena or whatever? Let's drill down. And if it's going to be, as Mel said, to maybe an, a, a good program to start with all of those components in there, let's see where it goes. Because as I said earlier, that Bay Area has always been the innovator of different thoughts and different ideas coming out of there. So I'm anxious to see what occurs, don't get me wrong. But at the same time, I'm agreeing with all of us in here, we've got to see the selection, the training, the whole mindset. Because what I'm seeing out here now and Mel and I have had these conversations before. I I've, I've, did not spend the 40 years in law enforcement, but I spent enough years with three different agencies, one with the state, one with the county, and on a university. What, and, and when I joined, Mel was probably a baby. I basically joined the state police back in 1969 when it was policing. What we've seen, and I've said it to AJ across the board, we've seen a movement from community and policing to, quote, law enforcement. And that's been a, a, not a cultural shift, but an overall conceptual shift in policing law enforcement over the last 20, 30 years. We've also seen the weaponization of law enforcement agencies over those years. So we've also seen each of these police departments having different cultures, because of one, and Mel, you may forgive me by saying this, because we've got the white boys in there that have basically unionized it. Yeah, that's right. And they basically have created their own good old boy network. And Kenny, you mentioned in terms of a civil war, hey, the FBI pointed out in 2002 that many of these police departments have been infiltrated by the Klan. They're there. That's a realization. You put them also in the military with their same idea. They come back out, get hired by, not so much maybe in these the cities somewhat have the resources maybe to weed some of them out. But I fear a lot of times when you leave the Bay Area, you got to go into some other parts of California that's rural. And those, those places like Maryland and place else, that's scary still because they don't have the resources and they're looking at, hey, let me do the body count. Let me hire the guy. Hey, if he's a Klan member, part of my good old brotherhood, 
we're bringing them in. So what you're seeing now, and this is why we, and to me, love is the answer movement. We've got to change, start changing the overall culture, the mindset of not just the police officers on the field, but people that were in Mel's position, the command staff mm-hmm. that goes out there and hire that culture. I mean, I worked in this one police department whose culture was shoot first, ask questions later. Yeah. I worked at police department and Hey, when you got stopped, guess what? The guns were drawn. This was back in the seventies. The guns were drawn. And many of these guys came in there with the, and you'll relate to this because he lives out there. And I think in Marin County, they had the old Clint Eastwood mentality. Right. They were drawn with three fifty sevens right, yeah. and 44 Magnums. Shoot first. Oh, if you're still alive, we'll reach you your last rights. Not your rights, but your <laughs> last rights. And that's that's what it was. So what I'm saying now, and I'll close. Yeah, I've seen it. I experience it even now. We've got to change the overall culture of the police department or these law quote law enforcement agencies so we don't have the George Floyds anymore or Elijah's anymore. Because that's the mindset that's out here. Let me draw my weapon, beat the guy down. And if I got my racist tendencies, white supremacy, this gives me a license to do whatever I want to do. I'd like to add to that. We also need to change the culture in our community, you know, about how we interact with police. Because in today's world, you know, the cop may be wrong and you may be right, but you may be dead right. You know, and there's no there's no coming back after that. Uh, Derek Chauvin got how much how much time did they give? Twenty five years. Twenty two and a half. Yeah, twenty two and a half. People are somewhat you know they've got some joy about that. But guess what? George Floyd is not coming back. So no matter what, you don't come back. I've yet to meet anybody that's come back from the dead. Okay, that doesn't happen. So we have to learn how to survive the encounter. I can't remember the gentleman's name. It was in Carolina where. He ran from the cop, and then the cop finally caught him in the park and shot him in the back. Yeah. You know, he well, ran. Of South Carolina. Yeah, South Carolina. He ran because he ran because he. There's two things. Two things happened. He ran because he had some uh, warrants for back child support. Mm-hmm. Why are you running, man? The other thing is that as a police officer, why are you chasing this guy? You've got his car. Yeah. You 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 can find the guy. You know, if if law enforcement agencies had a rule that said, you know, once they take off running, if it's a if it's a non felony stop, if there's no reason to believe that a felony has been committed, then why ch- do not chase? You know, Kenny, let me chime in there real quick. We used to have that. What we call that, Mel, a fleeing misdemeanor. Yeah, that that, that is in place, Kenny. You're not. That's in place. That's in place. But well, hey, no. just because it's in place doesn't, doesn't mean, mean I'm going to follow it. <laughs> Yeah, right. yeah. There's a lot of so, things we do. There's a lot of things we do that's not. <laughs> but let, let me get back to that three hundred dollars because Nat, I did everything you said. and You bought up something. I'm wondering now, and thank you, Kenny, for putting up. I believe you put up a, a, a um, some type of PowerPoint or something that had a little blurb highlighted in there and talked about a life coach. So that was good. I'm glad there's a life coach intended with this. But now my question becomes, as I think, um, yeah, you was you, Nat, that mentioned the criteria who. Who are they looking at at the criteria? How are they developing these people to get $300? What if I want $300? And I don't meet the criteria. 
What if I want an intensive life coach because I need help and I don't meet the criteria? Does that mean I have to go out and shoot somebody? So are you now creating a situation mm -hmm. where people are now having to go shoot someone to get on the list to get $300 and to get a life coach? So, yes. I mean, I just hope they cross all the T's and dot all the I's. That's all I wanted to add. Yeah. And, and we have not, we don't know anything about this other than what we read. Mm -hmm. So because we're in the Southern California part, and just as uh, Mr. Alston said, this is probably in its infancy. Mm -hmm. And there are probably so many T's and I's that have to be crossed and dotted. And for this program to do any good, they're going to have to dig real, real deep, real deep to make sure that everybody understands what this is about. And Colette, if I may add to what you just said, you're right on point. You've got, as I said earlier, San Francisco being that liberal bastion, you've got the conservatives, which are jumping hard on this boy because they're looking at it saying you're paying $300 to ex-criminals. They're not talking about returning citizens whatever the case may be, they're going to reprogram and, and, and I know I'm preaching to the choir, but they're going to reframe this. And you can see it on Fox News and whatever saying, guess what? Or in your case out there yep. with the, the conservative black brother that's running for governor out there, Lee, uh, he's Elder. going to jump mm -hmm. on that and say, hey, look what they're doing now. And this liberal San Francisco Bay Area medium or region is paying 300 bucks and guess what that that's the optics that's going to be out there and all the law enforcement agencies and all are going to jump on that bandwagon and once not that's reading, out there and, yeah and not reading in depth what we're talking about mm -hmm. but what's that first blurb out there that's the optics that they run with and and once it's out there it's hard to get get the uh, toothpaste back in the tube you know, Absolutely. you can't do that. And that's why Absolutely. words are important. Just like folks who were talking about defund the police. And then when you drill down, they were talking about reallocating resources. But that's once right. they said defund the police, to this day, the conservative media is running with that narrative. They wanted to get rid of the police. They, you have to be careful about your verbiage, about the words that you use, because your opponent will use those against you. And one thing about the conservative media, they are very good at doing that. They know yes. exactly what they're doing. Yes. Plant these things. And stories like this, yeah, the primary intervention is a positive and trusting relationship with an intensive life coach. If that means sitting down, talking to this young brother, talking to him about the ins and outs and the goods and bads and that he, the things that, that the fact that he does have choices, he does not have to do that. If that's it, that that's great. But again, the toothpaste is out of the tube. You're paying criminals not to shoot each other. To try to drill that back is going to be extremely difficult, if not impossible. Yeah. AJ? Yes. Go ahead. I know you want to say something. Yeah, yeah. So this is the part where we all have to step up. One of the things that made Melvin Russell so successful with his community efforts in Baltimore was, was that he built coalitions. He had pastors. He had business people. He had artists like myself come out and, and physically roll up the sleeves and make a difference in that community. So, so I'm, I'm saying now, okay, $300. It doesn't matter whether it's $300 or $3,000 a month. If you don't wrap people with complete, holistic, 360-degree resources, it will fail. 
And so now is the time that we need, while we're talking about it, we need to reach out to everybody that we know and everyone who's listening needs to do the same thing, right? Because it's easy for us to talk, but let's hop into action and let's see what other resources we can throw into the pot so that wherever they are now, it becomes a program that is sustainable and life-changing and transformative for those individuals and for those communities. I, I did a, a TV series called Good Fellas of Baltimore. That's where Mel and I first met. And the whole purpose of that show was to get business leaders and others in the community to come together. And our fans, their entrance into what we called the mob mentors of Baltimore, that was our fan club, they had to work. They had to do things in the community to make a difference. They couldn't just enjoy the parties and, and enjoy the show. And it worked. It worked. We raised a lot of money. We helped a lot of families and a lot of nonprofits. And, and that's what it takes. It really is going to take a village to come together and make these programs work. We can't just sit back and talk about it or point fingers. If we see something that needs uh, a little bit of help, we need to be the ones to provide it. Absolutely. That brings me to, I watched a uh, video uh I uh, did today or yesterday, uh, Dr. George Frazier, and he's been on the program a couple of times. Um, and this was a speech he gave from back in 2018. And he talked about the fact that that uh, Colette, that Forbes report that said the black community is going to be worth zero by 2053 uh, and maybe sooner if we're not careful. And when I talk about the fact that we've got to change our culture in our interactions with the police and things like that. That includes that because what George Frazier, his, his very compelling statement was that we are looking at a second slavery if we don't change things, if we don't change the way we're doing things because acting out the way a lot of times that, that we do, whether it's the, and, and I don't mean this derogatorily or anything, I understand why people have issues with police encounters, but you've got to think these things through because that narrative that we are, belligerent, the narrative that we are angry, we won't do what the police say, that narrative is out there. And what that does is that, that gives people ammunition to use against us. And if we get to a point where our, the average net worth is zero, you know, he talked about, and I remember reading that in Boston, one of the richest cities in the country, the net worth of the average black person there was $8. And he says, he remember when he read the article, he thought it was a typo. And you, some of you, uh, Melvin, you're shaking your head. You may have read that article some years ago. Eight dollars. Mm -hmm. We are moving fast, fast, fast towards fast. another slavery. And our good friend who's on our board, Leonard Collins, who's on the line, he talks about the fact that, you know, all of a sudden, you know, we look down the line, there are going to be these big projects, these big buildings where we live. And in the morning, you're going to have to get up, go downstairs, wait on the bus. The bus will take you to the place where you work. You will eat lunch at that place where you work. You won't leave that building. And at 5 o'clock, you clock out and the bus comes and brings you back there. And they lock you in there. You know. And if there's a lot of people out here today, that that would be perfectly fine with them if that, if that happened. And as a matter of fact, they would be working very hard to make sure that happens. So we have to change a lot of it and part of a lot of our culture. And a part of that is the way we interact with these policemen because our young men are dying and nothing's being done. And it doesn't matter, matter whether he was right or wrong yeah. because he's still dead. You've got 
uh, Derek Chauvin, who's in jail. You've got uh, the girl here in Dallas. I can't think, think, remember her name. Amber Amber Geiger. She's Amber in Geiger. jail. So there's a few. But those but those those are those are people that just says, yeah, we're doing our job. It doesn't change. You know, it doesn't change things. So we've got a, we've got a lot we've got a lot of work to do in our community. And I'll finish with this. One of the things uh, with the Black Lives Matter movement, we are not fans of the Black Lives Matter movement. Not, maybe not. I'm sorry, not the movement, but the organization. One of the things I noticed early on on their website, they had and get this, they had a and I quote a list of demands. You know who have lists of demands? You guys from law enforcement, you know, kidnappers have lists of demands. Bank robbers have lists of demands. Terrorists have lists of demands. Why? Because they've got something that they can bargain with. They've taken your kid. They've taken your money. They've got something that they can bargain with. We don't have anything to bargain with. You cannot have a list of demands if you don't have anything to bargain with. And the other thing that you never see them talk about is what are we bringing to the table? When we want these changes, governmental changes, whether it's local, statewide, or nationally, when we want changes, how often do you hear what we are bringing to the table? You've got to bring something to the table. On the first program a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about this, and somebody mentioned the fact that... um, the Japanese got some reparations and there was something about Jewish people getting reparations and everybody got reparations. I said, because they, they, they got brought something to the table. They brought their economic power to the table, you know, and the powers that be knew they had to work with these people because they've got that power. We have, I think it's a $1.3 trillion per year spending power in the black community. And we still can't figure out how to get what we want. There's something wrong with that picture, and we really, really need to start working on that. And I yield the rest of my time. Thank you. The other part of that, the extension to that, is that not only are we not bringing anything to the table, but we turn around and ask for something. We sit around and wait for the programs. We're waiting for the permission to move. And when I called AJ this morning, my thought was we've got to talk about Elijah McClain. What I saw on the news that happened with Elijah McClain, it is as disturbing as what took place with George Floyd. But if you notice, there isn't much talk about Elijah McClain. They've talked about it. It's going to die down. There hasn't been a lot of discussion. Elijah McClain, based on what I saw, he followed directions. He was following directions. They told him. He looked suspicious because he had on a mask and because he had on a hat. He was a law-abiding citizen. He was going home. He says, I'm right there. That's my house, right there, right there. He's gone. He's gone. And when they called the paramedics, they shot him with something that stopped his heart. So they did everything they could to end his life. At least that's the way I see it. And what what drives my anger? Ketamine, the injected ketamine. Ketamine, yeah. What drives my anger is that we are not doing enough. There are those of us as individuals, those of us who are on this broadcast. But in terms of the masses, we're not doing anything. We're not doing anything. Patrice Cullors and her gang of vigilantes went on Facebook and cried out and got everybody that they wanted across the country. They disappeared. They have not done or said one thing about Elijah McClain. 
But Elijah McClain's demise was as bad, if not worse, than George Floyd. There's no way to compare them. But what happened to Elijah McClain? And he's a kid. He was a kid. He's still a kid for Pete's sake. And the way his life was interrupted. It's just incredible that nobody has said anything. We've become numb. We've become numb. We are numb. We are numb. We are numb from the neck, the feet up. And nobody knows what to do. On this broadcast, we've talked about, well, the church, church. We've had someone on this broadcast from the church, pastor, and part of BLM that we won't allow back on this broadcast. Mm -hmm. But he's a pastor. He's from the church. And he's a loudmouth. And he's a BLMer. And he considers himself an activist. But he is definitely from the church. And well, you he, look at it from a standpoint, Colette, um, and, and I, I don't know the gentleman, but we've been numb on one thing that Kenny was saying, but also you look at the person that's coming in there from the church. What's their ulterior motive? Yeah, what is you know, the you 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 raise that issue and as you mentioned and I, I'm not uh I understand the conceptual mindset of Black Lives Matter, but I go what Kenny was saying, the organization, what they went after was strictly dollars and cents. Mm-hmm. Not looking at the program at all. Uh I belong and AJ knows this Mel. We've got a national organization also called the National Association of African-Americans and Human Resources. Mm-hmm. We are one of the largest HR organizations out there. What occurred during George Floyd was, one, we had all these companies coming after us and what I call checking the box. We want to align ourselves with you. You're a Black organization. Now we're have been awakened or woke as some, and we want to sign a, an agreement with you to say that, hey, we've got this Black group now that we're going to support, and they're going to support us. And I said, bottom line group, and I'm the chairman of it, I said, here's the thing. When we get approached by these organizations, these Black, white organizations or white companies, first thing I want us to do is look at the board of directors. If they don't represent us, in terms of their diversity and inclusion, then that's the first issue. Number two, we're not box checking. We're looking at a long-term strategic plan. That's going, and we're, and when we say a long-term strategic plan, we've got a relationship with Walking Wild Black, Love is the Answer with AJ Ali. That's our strategic partner. So wherever we go, he goes with us. So we're saying we're part of a movement, not a moment. We're not after the money. We're after the cultural change. That's the difference in here. I've been out here in HR for many, many years, seen companies talk a good game, but all they want to do is just check the box and that's it. So when you start looking at the whole thing now, when we see what's happening to Elijah, hey, yell. 
we've gotten numb. Many of us have, many of us haven't because Mel, AJ, and I, we're still in this movement. But we've got people out there that says, okay, here comes another George Floyd. Don't want to minimize the death of the person because that could have been my son. I've got a 44-year-old son and an 18, uh, 15-year-old grandson. So it could have been my grandson. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the public and all are saying, and particularly white America, and this is what I focus on a lot of times at 30,000 feet up, here we go again. Yes. And that's the conversation that I will share with you that I know that's in these corporate circles that's out there. And not just the corporate circles, but also the corporate circles in various police departments. Here we go again. Right. Then you've got the unions coming out there saying, hey, as they did here, we're going to line up behind our police officers out there. And then you also have the EMTs out there saying, guess what? Uh, Well, hey, they followed protocol. So you've got all those things in there where when I talk about Black Lives Matter, the pure and simple of it, as we say in the film, all lives matter. But hey, if my house is on fire, as we, you know, Mel and AJ, I'm going back to the film. When my house is on fire, guess what? I don't want you to put water on my neighbor's house. Right. I want water on my house because my house is on fire. Yeah. And that's what we've got to go back to. And, and with AJ's movement and with Mel and I supporting him, we got to get this out here that, hey, yeah, black lives do matter because guess what? My house is on fire. Yes. You know, and- seeing you seeing you gentlemen on here and uh, Nate, Nat, I know you've been on here before. Melvin, I'm not sure if you've been on the program before. OK, uh, gentlemen from law enforcement. AJ's got a military background. I'm always proud when I see brothers like this. You know, it makes me proud to know these gentlemen. And, you know, if you remember back in the, during the, uh, probably the 70s and 80s where people are always talking about there are no good role models in the black community. Mm-hmm. These are role models. You gentlemen are role models. Nobody needs a, a star, a basketball star, or an actor, or somebody to be the role model. We're looking in the wrong place for role mm-hmm. models. People today are still talking about black people should not join the military and that black mm-hmm. people should not join law enforcement. I didn't right. join law enforcement. I had an uncle that was in law enforcement. I did not join the military. I came up and I turned 18 uh, just before Vietnam uh, uh, ended. And my mother was not looking to let me go to this service. We were heavily involved in the black power movement. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that was not going to, was not going to happen different day in time. And I see, people that I know that have been in the military and I see the advantage of doing that, you know, and nowadays it's a different thing. And when I see black people talking about, we don't need to do that, especially when they, when they talk about not joining law enforcement, you know what I would always ask them, if you think things are bad now, how would bad would it be if there were no black police officers out there? If there, can you imagine it? It's scary to imagine how bad it would be if there were no black police officers out there. The other thing I'd like to say is if we want to change that, we have to be inside. Mm-hmm. You can't mm-hmm. stand outside and, 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 and yell and scream and walk mm-hmm. down the street. Look, look at I think it was during George Floyd walking around with a sign that says, stop shooting us. Now, did they think the police were going to go, Oh shoot. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she mm-hmm. should have said something. No, that it, it, it meant nothing. 
You know, somebody said, uh, if you guys probably know, Jackie Robinson had another brother who was actually a better baseball player. But yep, he could yep. not, he could not handle all the Depression. crap. Yeah, he could not handle that. And mm-hmm. somebody said, Jackie was not going to change baseball by standing outside the stadium yelling and screaming. He had to get inside. And the only way we're going to change that culture, Nat, that you talked about, the only way we're going to change that culture is having more and more right. officers in there. And it's not going to happen overnight. Yes, there's racism exists, discrimination exists, prejudice exists, all, and that, that's always going to exist. We just have to get past it. Like George Fraser was talking about, and, and I'm not a very religious person, but he talked about, you know, when God gives you something, the next thing he does, it puts an obstacle in your way. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You know? Yeah. And then also, now what are you going to do? Oh, yeah. I'm done. Well, you know, you, you didn't want it in the first place. And then once you get past the, uh, that obstacle, he's going to put another obstacle in your place. Nothing is, nothing's going to be easy. It's going to be hard. And it's going to take time. And yeah, and I'm going to say these words, there's going to have to be a little bit of ass kissing and all that stuff that goes on in corporate America, whether it's the corporate police department or whatever, you know, what, what have you. Those things have to take place so that we can get in there and make these changes and be in a position to affect change, that would affect global change. And Kenny, I, I would say this, you're on point. The key, one of the keys in here too is what AJ says and what we've said. This is a movement, not a moment. We as African-Americans and particularly this generation, hey, we want it now. We don't mm-hmm. go to the long game. I say, folks, and, and there's a book out there, Chess, Not Checkers. We're still playing chess, checkers. The games that white boys are playing are the chess. We want to run the Usain Bolts and run the 100-yard dash in 9-2, but we're not going to run 26.2 miles on the marathon. We don't want to do that. If anybody's doing that now, the Kenyans are still dominant in running those long-distance marathons. But you put it to us here in America, black, hey, no, we want it now. I mean, and when you talk about our movement that we're talking about now, we've got to plant those seeds and change the mindset of our young people. And I mean, you look at it now, we're talking about kids 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, and 18. All of us around here, these young people weren't even born 2000. We're coming up on 9-11. 20 years ago, many of these kids out here weren't even born, or if they were, they were babes in people's arms and whatever. But in the last 20 years, what have you seen? You've seen now people getting shot by by youngsters out there, 13-year-olds. Mel, we see it in Baltimore, 13, 14-year-olds, just walking by there spraying everybody. And Baltimore... Here's the other thing. The city of Baltimore, I'm in the middle of in between it. They have some of the toughest gun laws, but guess what? The guns are getting in. They're getting in from somewhere. Because they're criminals. Because that? they're criminals. That's right. That's their job. And, that's right. <laughs> and who's bringing them in there? It ain't the white folks bringing them in there, guys. It ain't the white folks. Yeah. It's, it's people who look like you and I. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. And, because and, that gun now becomes a commodity. Yes, it does. And it has a price tag on it. Right, Mel? Yeah. You know yeah. what I'm talking about? That's what it is. So if yeah. it's not drugs, I'm now doing guns. 
So where's the state? You see it in Chicago. Chicago's got tough gun laws. Where do they get them from? Indiana. Right. Where do we get it from? Virginia, North Carolina, the straw. These. So that's that's the new industry out there for us in the black community. It is. We got drugs. Now we're doing what? Pelling guns. Right. And, and, and you know, California has very strict gun laws. And, and uh, Colette brought up the uh, case yeah. earlier. The people and uh, they, they were Latino. And I don't know who the shooter was. But over a parking space, they got shot. Strict gun, very strict gun laws. You can't have a high capacity magazine over ten rounds. You have to have a background check for ammo. All that stuff in California. Yet those, but that people, people have the guns. I was, uh, uh, our dad is in uh, uh, Arizona. And my, Colette and I, my son, were driving back to California a few years ago. And we stopped at a swap meet, and I forgot we were on the Arizona side. And there was a guy there selling AR-15 magazines, thirty round AR-15 magazines. And I said, "How are you selling these here, man?" He says. Oh, I'm on the on the Arizona side. I said, "Oh, I forgot." He said, "Guess what? People come over from California and buy them all day long, mm-hmm. all day long." Mm-hmm. And we don't try to say, "Wait just a minute." We are continuing in the same way. We're not looking at this as an issue that belongs to us. And remember, all of you may remember the police chief in Georgia when the uh, the guy, I can't think of the guy's name, but when he was escorted in the courtroom by that single black female and he overtook her, took her gun and shot the judge and shot, I believe he shot somebody else in the courtroom. Everybody went running. He was on the loose for about seven, eight, maybe 10 days. He was holed up in a uh, trailer with a woman who had the book, A Purpose Driven Life. Mm-hmm. She read the book to him. Do you guys remember that? I, I remember it. Okay. She read A Purpose Driven Life to him. He surrendered. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I remember. He's, yeah. He surrendered. Well, prior to his surrendering, there were news conferences all over the country. Well, the police chief in Atlanta at that time said, Why are you so upset? Blacks are shooting blacks all day long. And that that comment and that premise is prevalent all over this country today. Blacks are shooting blacks every day. What are you getting upset about? A cop, if a cop shoots somebody black, he had every right. He's a cop. So we're doing the damage to ourselves. We're doing the damage to ourselves in a multitude of ways, not simply with shooting each other, but with the likes of just how we treat each other. The mere fact that we have allowed this Elijah McClain to go on and we haven't said anything, nothing has been said about it, or at least nothing that I have heard. Nothing has been said about Elijah McClain and all of the things that took place that day Somebody needs to be upset about Elijah McClain. And we're not doing anything about the Elijah McClains. California has the largest number of prisons, thus the largest number of prison inmates. How come we're not talking about that? Why isn't there anything being done about the largest number of prisons with more Black men in there than anybody else. Because it's become a badge of honor to go to prison. We in the community have it to is. stop 
uh, making excuses for bad behavior. If somebody's a criminal and a knucklehead, call them a criminal and a knucklehead and stop making excuses. What was the guy's name that was one of the original Crips in California? Pookie, Poochie? Yeah. Yeah. Williams, his last name. Yeah, yeah. He he was up in San Quentin. They was on death row. And they were going to go ahead and pull the, uh, uh, fry him. And everybody was upset. Oh, he's writing children's books now. And he, oh, he's it. The guy, when I've got a cousin, was telling me he he knew that guy. He, the guy was robbing people on the street. People driving down the street stopped at a a a, a stoplight. He's walking up, driving, robbing them, shooting them, taking their cars and everything like that. But we're making excuses for people. We do, you know. And, and one and, of the things that, and in, in, in not only do we accept failure in our community, we expect it, and that's a problem. We expect failure. And when people fail, we go, oh well, you know. That's that's, how, that's how it is. Yeah, and we, we have to raise our expectations. And during that time when Pookie was supposed to be fried, if you will, I had a class at Inglewood High School. And my students were enraged. They were up in arms because they wanted to just march. They wanted to go out in the street and protest about Pookie being fried. And I read to them, what he had done, the, the fact that he went into a 7-Eleven and shot the cashier and shot several people, all that he had done, they said he should be forgiven. I'm sure he was forgiven, but he should not have to be fried. There was no reason. They, those kids in my class were upset that he was going to have to pay for his deeds. And they never thought that, that, yeah, it's wrong, but there is always a but. And if we don't get to a point, if we don't get to the point where we're being responsible for ourselves, for our community, for what isn't going on with us. And just as we were saying, how is it? Some of the things that go on, how is it okay with us? When did we get to a point where these things are okay? When did we get to that point? I'm a, I'm a baby boomer. When did we get to a point where these kinds of things are okay? Because I don't ever remember a time when all of these things were okay. And I'd like for all of you to answer that question. You guys may be a little bit younger than I, maybe. Well, Lynn, I think when you start saying that, I think when I go flashback, think about really the last 20 years. What has occurred during the last 20 years? From, and really, I would say from 2000 to the first 21 years, what has occurred in the African-American community hmm. in those years? And I'm looking at it from a broader perspective what because I do a lot of training in the area of (coughs) now five generations you mentioned baby boomers we got gen x's and all five 20 years ago the internet was just coming on yep we didn't have we back then I throw out the word uh myspace wasn't facebook wasn't Snapchat, wasn't TikTok, wasn't anything like that. Social media was never even thought of. What do you mean social media? 
Yeah. What do you mean instant gratification? So when you start looking at the community, what has occurred over these last 20 years, I mean, I'm watching now streaming wasn't even out there. Now you've got the proliferation of channels. You've got people making money now, as we mentioned earlier, in terms of the last 20 years, the proliferation of weapons. So we've got that. Uh, We've got also the weaponization of police departments in the last 20 years. We also have now, when you talk about the Clinton administration and the whole idea of war on crime and back to a book, uh, what I think is by Michelle Alexander, The New Jim Crow. So it became positive to have more incarceration because we put what? A dollars and cents to it now. We made it a profit making. Mm -hmm. So we started looking at that. So when we start seeing the proliferation of guns, hey, drugs, the same way we're consumers, that was a market that people filled. We've got a market now of instant gratification. You got a market out here now 20 years ago. Your influence, AJ's influence, Mel influence, okay, your your connections, so be it. Now your influence is what? You're making monitor, money off of your influence. So in the last 20 years, I mean, you've got people out here that don't make anything tangible, but they've got influence to make you do what? Buy something, do something. That's right. Nothing on a consumer that you can take home, shake or whatever. How many people like my page? How many people? I got 20 million influencers. So now you got the housewives of, you name the city. You name the city. That's where, what are they making? They're not making anything. But guess what? They've got now a media that's done that. So when you look at this last 20 years, and see how it now switched to now I can make money using a great variety of mediums, whether it's no longer now, Mel and I go back, okay, it was back then, we started with marijuana, we started out with heroin, we started out with crack, cocaine, now what we're doing, we got the opiates, we've got what else we got out there, Mel, in terms of drugs that's moved on, so we're not dealing with the Drugs of the past. We're looking at the drugs of the future. Drugs to me now. Hey, we got the guns. That's a drug to me. I've got an addiction to that firearm and that I can solve my issue by doing what? Hey, then we got also video games. We didn't have video games back then. 20 years ago, we had maybe Commodore and Atari. Now we got avatars. Now we got the video games out there. We got, hey, we can have Mortal Kombat. And guess what? We want now virtual to make it reality. And so we've got a group of people out there now, young people who are committing these crimes, look at their ages and look what they grew up in their first formative years. I mean, I visit a prison up there in our, in our state and you got 18 year olds in there. And I asked one guy, how big is your family? He said, oh, I got another brother. Well, where's he? He's in here with me. Yeah. Yeah. So you got families that got brother, two brothers that are in the same up there, Mel and Hagerstown, they're in jail. So we used to have on TV, it's 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Sure did. Yes. Yes. You had that. 
So right. now 20 years from later on, it's 11 o'clock. Do you know where your children are? Yeah, they're in the in correction facility in Mokstock. But see, yes. it has there become, again, it has become a badge of honor. And part of badge the problem, of honor. part of the That's problem right. is the music, what they've done to our music. See, they hijacked our music back in, you, all of us are old enough to remember the 70s and 80s, the beautiful music <laughs> we had back then. Earth, Wind, and Fire, War, uh, Commodores, um, I could, uh, Anita Baker, I could go on and on and on. Hip hop came in and rap. And then when they, when they went into that music industry and told oh, those yeah. young brothers, you cannot rap about what you want. It has to be negative. I think you could argue that that has decimated our community more than the sure, crack, crack sure. epidemic. It has sure. des because you have killed their minds. You have made them mental slaves. You have made them the new minstrel show. You've got Cardi B. You've got, yep. you've got, yep. uh, 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 Flava Flav. I mean, I could, I mean, all these people, all these new people. That's not even music. And see, music to our community means more to the people than to any other community out there. Music is, that's why we call it soul music, because it's in our soul. We listen to music all the time. It has become who we are. All the message music, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, uh, uh, Chris Jasper's song, uh, all this stuff. Now it's just junk. And the young men, and, and, and I'm going to bring up a stat for you guys in a second here, that show all the rappers killed in the past 20 years. Yeah. It's like 115 yeah. or something like that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Now, how, how, many country music, how many country music yeah. singers have been killed? How Not many uh, uh, jazz singers have been killed? How Kenny, many? I know what you're going to bring up because I've got that same stat in here. That's what I said back to you, Colette. Look at the last 20 years. Yes. What has occurred in those last 20? And we can look at it from 2000 to 2021, the 21 years. And the kids now who are in prison were either born in the year 2000, 2001, they're 18 and all. What? There you are. That's that, that's it. Yeah. It goes back to 1987. Yeah. Yeah. Look at that. Tupac, is big. Look at look at this. All the way down. Yeah. Shot and killed. Shot and shot and run over. Yeah. Look shot at this. All of them shot and killed, stabbed to death. Most of them, 99% of them. Almost all of them, with the exception of two, of shot and killed. And here's uh, here's Nipsey Hussle, Pop Smoke, uh, Houdini. Uh, and this is guy, the mole three that was here in Dallas, down on 35 a, a few uh, a few months ago. Oh, that was in November 2020. Yeah. So th th there's something there. And I I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've said it on other programs, and I get a lot of pushback. Until we get rid of that poison, we can't fix our community because it's poisoning the minds of our young people. They're growing up thinking this is the way to be. And yep. a lot of these rappers getting killed, nobody knows who they are. They're not big time like Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. And so these are guys that just call themselves rapper and they're out there and they want to be gangsters. They want to be gangsters. Okay. And they're out there running around with a nine millimeter and, and, and they get killed. Right. So let's go to AJ. And then after AJ, Ken, we're going to run some adverts. So AJ, go ahead. And then we're going to do adverts and come right back. Go ahead, AJ. Great. Just, just real quick, I want to say that, um, and you know, y'all know me. I got a one-track mind. It always comes back to love, right? Um, and not this, this warm, mushy, non-actionable kind of love. We're talking about the action steps, right? To learn about each other, to open our hearts to each other, to volunteer to be part of the solution in each other's life, to empower each other, to do better, to be better. And we've got to double down on that. We've 
got to double down on love. I think back to, I was born in 1963, so I think back to the late 60s, early 70s. I think back to all my family members, you know, the, the, the uncles and aunts and, and, and others that were there for me unconditionally. No one ever said, you're on your own. I got mine, you get yours, mm-hmm. right? We had a deep love for each other, and, and that extended into the community. When, when I was growing up in Glenwood Park, Maryland, mostly you know, it was an all-black community. I couldn't go anywhere in that community without somebody knowing my business, and they would report it back to my parents, you know, and, and we would look out for each other. We got to do that. We got to find a way to do that. We got to stop being, you know, Melvin, you know, said it in the film. We got we to gotta stop being scared of each other. You know, these, these young babies that are out there doing things that they shouldn't be doing, most of them are doing it out of pain, you know. They, they're not doing it because they want to do it. They're doing it because that's the only thing that they know how to how to deal with the pain that they're going through every single day. And and we've got the proudest thing I'm the thing I'm most proud of with our organization is that we've got a 22 year old young man, Trey Carlisle, who's leading our youth development program. And we have told Trey and other young people that if you want a place at the table, not not the kids' table, I'm talking about the main table within our organization. You can have it. You just got to step up and be committed and do the work. And our job is to support you and love on you and give you the tools necessary for you to succeed so that we can retire one day and play some golf, you know? And I'm not trying to be here for the next 40 years running this thing. I'm trying to equip people that are 20, 30 years younger than I am so that they can run run it. You know, we need to, we need to use our wisdom and our life experiences to reach out and love on as many young people as we possibly can. And when we do that, they're doing amazing things. You know, the poet uh, Laureate, she, she is not, uh, she's not one off. She, she's not the only person out there with talent. There are many others with a lot of talent that aren't getting the breaks. And, and we've got to care about them before they get swept up in this system that is designed to make them fail, right? And we can only do it with love. We can't do it with, with, with hate. We can't do it with, with turning our back on people. We can't do it with indifference. You know, we, we've got to be better, you know, the word ally, right? We've got to be better allies within our own community. You know, we, can, we, can't, we can't put all the, all the, all the, responsibility on white people teaching them how to be allies and then coming then coming to the rescue like superman right no we've got to do it and we've got to double down on it the only way we can do it is with a deeper sense and purpose of love and right. you know for for my detractors who say that love is weak the reason why you're here today is because of love that's the only reason why you're still here and so love is always more powerful than hate and indifference and everything else. And we got to double down on it. And I, I agree, AJ. And, and with that, I'm also looking around at what's going on in our communities. We no longer have communities. So where there are uh, uses in large numbers, but we no longer have communities. We used to have communities. We no longer have communities. We no longer have a major presence in schools. We no longer have, a, the only place that we have a major presence 
is in sports. That's it. And that's unfortunate. That is unfortunate. We've had doctors on this broadcast because Black Men in White Coats has an organization trying to recruit students to become doctors because the number of doctors in this country is something like 1%. The number of Black doctors, it's that low, that low. The the number of Black airline pilots out of the 110,000 airline pilots in this country, only 2,000 of them are Black. And most of the time, most folks don't know that there are Black airline pilots from major carriers. So when we talk about what we have to do and it, and it requires love, we know that love conquers all. We know this. We have got to work on the mindset. I believe in order to get there, I believe that we can, but in order to get there, AJ, we've got to work on the mindset. When I instruct classes with administrators, with staff members, with teachers, with all people, the very first thing I say to them is what has changed. And I'm either conducting a workshop that is about life skills or character education. And my first question, since now we have to teach character on a universal level, what is the first thing that has changed? And every, it never fails. They always say a multitude of things, but they never, ever, ever say what the right answer is. They never come up with that one right answer, never. And I don't care how many superintendents and principals and all of these educated people, they never tell me what has changed. And, and Nat just said it. It's the microwave generation. It's technology. That has changed. Lock, stock, and barrel. That has changed us. We're no longer human. And, and there's no way for, for me to know if any of you saw uh, Friday night, the um, 2020, and the fact that they're now the robots, the women, the girl robots. They're real robots. So not only in the Black community, are we at a point where we're, we're just about extinct? We're back into slavery. They're building robots who look like women, talk like women, but these are robots. Somebody should be scared. Be very uh, scared mm-hmm. because this is real. And just as George Frazier has said, it's always white folks predicting what's going to happen with us. They anticipate more about us than we do ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay. really cool that when you mentioned that, I flashed back to, again, uh, I, I assume you're in California. So when I look at what we've seen just in the California, when California brought out, I think it was early part of 1984 or, or, or then there, that the state of California will be a minority majority state. That sent shockwaves throughout the entire United States. Yes, and it is. And I've said to people, and that just that alone sent shockwaves. And basically, back here, AJ and Mel, I said to our NHR group, 
Oh, you're you're on you're on mute. You hit mute. Yeah, I'm on mute. Okay, here's what I said on that. When we talk about California doing that, <clears throat> I said what we've got to think about on a global sense here in D.C. They were talking about affirmative action and all of that stuff, and I said no. You got to think about the top five conservative think tanks in Washington, D.C. who are on overdrive to change the policies and all because they do not, what happens in California, as I said earlier, permeates throughout the entire United States. So what did you get? You got difference in immigration laws. We don't want black and brown people coming in here, but we will take people coming from Eastern Europe who looks like whites. What do we also see now, folks? And you're seeing it in Texas and all. Hey, we want to knock down Roe v. Wade. Because guess what? White women were having too many abortions. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we've got to make sure that that's what we've got to make sure that they have more whites because we can't become, particularly in the South, a predominantly black and brown region. Mm -hmm. So we're going to cut you out coming from the South, whether it's Mexico, Southern, South America, Africa, we're going to put you now on a quota system, that H1 visa, we're going to put restrictions on. And I'm, I'm talking about from a human capital, human resource standpoint. So you see all the policies that are occurring now over a 20 year cycle, because those corporate think tanks say, how can we do what? Maintain control, mm-hmm. white supremacy. How can we now increase, all right, the proliferation of black males into the prison systems? How do we change the laws now that if you convicted of a felony, you have no voting rights, you, have, you can't own anything? So all of those things were done as a result of what many of these people saw happening in the state of California. So I always say that to folks across the board, that California, so goes California. You guys out there are the bellwether for the rest of the country. You've got the seventh largest GPA in the country, in the world. In the world, yeah. Seventh largest GP, gross national product in the world. Mm -hmm. Hey, states like Mississippi and Alabama, Georgia, Kentucky and all, if California gets a cold, hey, it's the flu. For those states. Mm -hmm. So what I'm getting at is we've got to look at this from a whole global standpoint. And I go back to what we're talking about with AJ and the movement. It is we've got to get people like Trey, who started off at 17, who's now about what, 22, 23, AJ. We've got to get our young people to change the minds of our young people. Because they look at us, meaning we baby boomers, guess what? Our time is done in their mindset. And that's the mindset that we've got to look at now. What is What are they thinking, doing, and acting? What are the influences that they're seeing every day? Kenny, you talk about hip-hop? Yeah, hip-hop. The wives of so-and-so, it could be the wives of Beverly Hills, the wives of Atlanta, you name it. 
It's We TV. We got Black China out there doing her thing, and she's not making nothing but an influencer. You got the Kardashians, got 18 million followers out there, but what are they doing? Nothing but influencing that. Nothing. Nothing. So what I'm getting at is all of this is mixed together. And our movement, along with what you're doing in here now, we've got to change that because we baby boomers and there's a book out there, whatever we've touched, we've only done two things to it, either made it better or we destroyed it. (laughs) That's it. We were, we were, we, we're part of what we're in now. We're to blame. Mm-hmm. We are oh, to blame. Yeah, a lot of blame. And, I, and I'm yeah. going to touch on a couple of things uh, that Colette said. One is that, you know, she talked about we don't have our communities anymore. We've even taken the neighbor out of neighborhood. And it's it gets back it gets back to when I was talking about how in, words are important. You know what it means to be neighborly? That means to be good, to good to your neighbors. And, and someone you can trust, someone you can rely on. That's your neighbor. We've taken, na- now it's just the hood. And people might think that's that's just something, you know, that's just something. No, it's important. Words are important. And the other thing I want to mention, she Colette mentioned the uh, black men in white coats of doctors. And we had them on, what, was about a month ago, Colette? Mm-hmm. And I ran a couple of videos that they had of, of a couple of their summits. There was a young black man, young black gentleman, who was probably, what, 19, 20 years old. And he was just so excited to be there with all seeing all these black doctors. And you know what he said? He said, now I know I have permission to be great. He didn't know before. He did not know he had permission to be great. And whose fault is that? That's not the white man's fault. That's Ours. our fault. You Ours. know, we, you know we, we continue to wait on something. We, we, and I say this a lot. We are always waiting on permission. We're waiting on somebody to clean up our communities. We're waiting on somebody to stop the shootings. We're waiting on somebody to do this. So it, these, these are our problems. We have to fix these problems. And until we get that through our, through our minds, we're still going to have these problems. Yeah. You know, and we've, all, we've always had permission to be great. We've always had permission to be great. We just aren't telling. I'm not a big fan of Black History Month because I don't care what the school teaches. I teach my kids about black history because you know what they're going to teach? What they teach in Black History Month? You're going to learn about Barack Obama, Harriet Turp- Tubman, George Washington Carver and maybe uh, Crispus Attucks. That's all you're going to hear about. There's no real in-depth understanding of who we are and our contributions to this country. So why are we expecting the people that enslaved us to teach our children about us? That's absolutely ludicrous. And then we're mad because they're not teaching them right. They don't even teach white history right. And if you look at what they're teaching at the, at, at the K through 12, they're still teaching kids, you know, George Washington chopped down a cherry tree and things like that. I read an article a few years ago about a college professor who was completely appalled. He was a history professor at the lack of real knowledge of people, kids coming into college and university. He said, if you go into, a ma- into, into one of the math subjects, you've got to have some algebra, some calculus. You've got to have, there's a minimum standard. He said these kids were woefully ignorant, and these kids came from you know well-to-do uh, uh, schools, Neighborhood. neighborhoods, and yeah, schools. neighborhoods. Yeah. But they knew absolutely. So, and then we're expecting them to teach our history. Again, that's that's absolutely ludicrous. We have happen. to take responsibility. If I had the money, I would buy billboards for in L.A., 
D.C., Maryland, Chicago, Detroit, Philadelphia, all over these communities have big billboards with four letters, S-W-O-P. And people would be saying, what is S-W-O-P? You know what? Stop waiting on permission. <laughs> and that's my message. And, and in Los Angeles, there are billboards that shouldn't be up. It's a good idea to put S-W-O-P because if we don't get the message out, if we do not take it upon ourselves individually, collectively, we know it's not going to happen. But if we don't do something, we are going to be gone. And, and it's, it's beyond time. Pastor Anthony McFarland in Altadena, 20 years ago, he did a study on the black family. And he told us then in church, he told us then that the black community was on the demise, that we were committing self-imposed genocide. We were allowing things to happen to us. Mm-hmm. And just as, as, as Matt just said, I work for LA Unified. I work in migrant education every day in migrant education. And migrant education is a part of Beyond the Bell. Migrant education deals directly, specifically, and only with migrant students and their parents. And guess who those migrant students and their parents are? It ain't nobody that looks like you and me. Mm -hmm. So every migrant student that has a need, as long as they are Mexican, they can get everything. Everything. And Los Angeles is a uh, sanctuary city. California mm-hmm. is a sanctuary state. state Los yeah, Angeles yeah. Unified is a sanctuary unified school district. Mm-hmm. And I call schools to set up meetings with the recruiters so that that division can recruit more students for the division. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I asked when I got into this division, I asked if the services were available to any migrant student. No. Only Mexican students. We do not deal with the Afghan students who are coming over. Mm-hmm. We will not deal with the Haitian students who are coming over. We will not deal with African students. We will not deal with any Asians that come over. It's only Mexican students. Only. Mm. That's it. That's all. Migrant ed. And they want those migrant students. And they know that they're all over L.A. They know that. They mm. know that. And they want them. And I asked the question to other African-American people in the district. Don't you guys see that there's something really not right here? How about no, they don't. Or either they will say, yeah, but what can you do? Mm-hmm. So the, the apathy is just mm-hmm. deafening. The apathy is just, you have to ask yourself, how is it somebody can have that much apathy in a brain? It's impossible, but it's there. Mm-hmm. So when we don't, and in and, and Los Angeles Unified, I'm going to say it. We don't take care of each other. We do not. But let it be somebody that's, that Black folks consider a brown brother 
oh yeah, they're going to get it and they're going to get it and they're going to get taken care of. But you can rest assured. I've been with LA a long time mm-hmm. and I have seen how things happen and we're nowhere to be found. And black folks are placed strategic. Mm. That has nothing to do with what we do or what we have because we're wielding no power. Mm-hmm. We have no power at all. None. Mm-hmm. We have no power. So when we talk about what we have to do, we're behind. We are behind mm-hmm. by decades and decades and decades. And we're not doing much to catch up. Mm-hmm. And just as Mr. Alston said, we we have a whole lot of folks that do the bebop. We have a whole lot of folks that are, are in the microwave generation, and that's all that matters. Mm-hmm. But when I ask administrators and students, what's the one thing that has changed and they can't tell me about technology, it makes me want to just nails on a chalkboard mm-hmm. because it's simple to me. It's simple because it's happening all over. It is happening all over. I have discussions with people who used to tell me black folks were on the rise. They're doing great things. But now I have discussions with people who say we're on the losing end. We are definitely on the losing end. And, I th- and George, George Frazier is absolutely mm-hmm. right. And why is it we're still waiting for Forbes to tell us about us? And I think that is evidenced by the fact, what you're talking about being on the, on the, on the decline, that that group, that conglomeration of black folks trying to buy the Crenshaw Mall could not buy the mall. Their money wasn't could good enough. Buy. Can, cannot, cannot, could not, will not buy. And there was an article on Yahoo, or I think it was on Yahoo earlier I read, that said, you know, they, uh, this group should be allowed to buy that yada. And I was expecting this in-depth discussion it was probably 200 words. It, I mean, it basically said we should have been able to buy it. And it was, and I gave the brother credit for trying this. It, it, I was expecting some, some, okay, here's why. He just said we should have been able to buy it. No. And, and part of the reason, and AJ, you may know this. Uh, Mr. Teaser Turner may also know this. It got to be, and it, I'm sure it's still, a, a very ugly situation, but it got to the point where the scuttle around LA was that the maggot and his son were trying to buy them all, not for any one particular reason, but he and his son were trying to buy them all. And, 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 and when they came up with a reason, it was that because there's a train that's going to go straight down Crenshaw Boulevard. And I thought for those people who think that the train going down Crenshaw Boulevard is a great thing, I have to take them back. And I ask them, are you, are you serious? Why is it the, why is it that sending a train down a major thoroughfare like Crenshaw Boulevard, what makes you think that's such a great, grand, exceptional, wonderful thing? Here's here's the article, letter to the editor, why black-owned groups should have been allowed to buy Crenshaw Mall. One paragraph, two paragraphs, three paragraphs, that's it. 
That's and Damon, yeah, he's the one. Mm. And Damien Goodman. And again, kudos to him for writing the article. I I'm I'm not trying to be disparaging, but I expected a much more in depth they don't have any explanation about whether you know the, the discrimination what to, to tell me something they're just saying uh do the rising cost of living widening widening wage gaps and health gaps yada 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 10 percent of the housing units are planned to build affordable lo- uh, local residents yada yada boom no, you're not you're not you're not you're not getting any allies by doing this. You're not making any friends this way. You need something more than and that. And it created such a division and probably still today. Because every every it seemed as though every month they were gonna close the deal, close the deal, close the deal. And it began to be a joke. It became a joke to me because there were several people that asked me to uh help them with it, promote it, and gotta talk about it, gotta get it out there. And my position is neutral. I'm sure Damon is not going to be able to buy the Crenshaw Mall. Not only is he not going to be able to buy the Crenshaw Mall, he's not going to come up with the kind of money that's necessary to buy the Crenshaw Mall. Not only that, he doesn't have the background. Not only that, not only does he not have the background, but he doesn't have the, 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 the entourage. He doesn't have the people, the elements to join in something like that. He doesn't have it. So instead of making it, instead of saying, okay, uh, you know, maybe we can't for this reason and that reason, it just has been drawn out. Now, Mm. the parallel that I wanted to give you all is that here in Pasadena, there's never a day, never, ever, never, as long as Colorado Boulevard is here in Pasadena, you are not going to get a train down Colorado Boulevard. You will never get a train down Lincoln, down Fair Oaks, Los Robles, Lake. That ain't going to happen. I don't care what they put at the top or the foot of that hill. I don't care what they put at the bottom. You'll never be able to convince anybody that a train is necessary. Transportation is necessary. And there's only one bus that goes up to Altadena. And it goes up Fair Oaks. It makes a U-turn and it goes back down and it goes down to Colorado and beyond. One bus. I just turned 69. It's been like that for 60 years. It's not going to change. It is not going to change. But the idea that they would put a train down Crenshaw Boulevard and black folks on the plantation would jump up and down and think it's a wonderful thing. But you have to look through a different lens. That's what they do on the plantation. They make you think that they're giving you something. No, they're not. And if you want to say, yeah, they're giving it to you, they wouldn't do that anyplace else. Case in point, the 710 freeway stops at Cal State LA for 70 years. The state has been fighting with the residents of South Pasadena to create an extension of the 710 freeway up through South Pasadena to where it connects up here at the 210 and the 710. Well, the 210 and the 710 are the same freeway. And the way that I found out it's the same freeway and found out all this information was I got stopped 
under the freeway and they couldn't find me. And I kept telling them it was the 210. And it was AAA and the highway patrol that said, no, that's not the 210, that's the 710. And then they began to tell me about the 60-year fight between the residents of South Pasadena and the state. And the residents of South Pasadena said, no way, Jose, I don't care what you say or how you do it. It's not going to happen. To the tune of the state took cement, trucks, everything that they need to build a freeway, they locked it in on the 210 freeway. And guess what? That stuff stayed there for a year, but it's gone today because those white folks in South Pasadena said, you're not going to uproot us, my kids, we've been here, this house has been here for generations, and you're not going to change it. And they didn't change it. They moved the dirt, they moved the trucks, they moved the water tanks, they moved the land rover movers, they moved everything. They took all that stuff off of the 210 freeway and took it someplace else because those white folks in South Pasadena said it ain't gonna happen. But guess what? They put a train down Crenshaw Boulevard and those black folks over there think it's just the grandest thing ever. But you could only do that on the plantation. They could only do that on the plantation. And we allow it. So for them to buy the mall, that's not going to happen. For them to put a Trader Joe's over there, that's not going to happen. For them to put a Nordstrom over there, that's not going to happen. Bring those things over there and put them in the plantation? No, that's not plantations. No, they're not, it's not going to happen. But we are sitting around thinking that they have to give us more. It is not going to happen. And when Black folks come up with these ideas, it's like, get back. You're only there. You're on the plantation. Stay there. When are we going to change the mindset? When are we going to change it? We're overdue for change. We're overdue. We're out of time. We are literally out of time. Because if it doesn't change like tonight, at the latest tomorrow, we're going back to plantation living. We're going back. And how can we change this? And we know it's about a mindset, but how do we get the masses to change the way they think? How do we get the masses to change? And it's not easy. It's not easy. How do we take 37,000 incarcerated Black men and put them out there and ask them to change their behavior and the way they think? How do we do that? Because if we don't, we're beyond trouble. We're so far beyond trouble, we, we, it's, it's hard to see the light of day. AJ? We'll call that. We have a, an event coming up September 17th. It's called Love is the Answer Day. It's the third annual. It's a reset button. It's an opportunity for everyone who's listening to you. And I agree with everything that you said. We got to move into action. You know, so this, this, this event, Love is the Answer Day, is a chance for everyone to commit to putting love into action. 
to make things happen, to, to not wait on someone else to be the change that we want to see. And if you go to loveistheanswermovement.com, you can learn all about that event and how you can participate. We've got groups that are painting murals together that will be a, a great moment, but that will build into a movement because those murals will be there for months, years, decades, reminding people of that day that we came together. Uh, there are uh, things that people can download and display on their websites or display in their front yard or in the window uh, that reinforce this message that if we come together, everything can change. And folks, I'm not talking about something that can change everything overnight because that's nothing is going to do that. But remember, you know, as a veteran, this, this month is really difficult for me, especially this year, 20 years. Um, there was a feeling in New York City where people came together and treated each other with what? With love, right? Crime went down. Uh, people picked each other up. Everybody said, we're going to come together and no one's going to defeat us. That didn't last long enough. It comes back every year, September 11th, the days before that day and a few days afterwards. But then it goes away. We've got to commit to that as a lifestyle. We got to be there for each other every single day. And we can't wait for somebody else, some other people group to do it. We got to do it for ourselves. We got to start with black people, loving black people. And I'm not talking about separating. I'm not a, I'm not a black nationalist. I don't want to, I don't want to have us on one corner and everybody else in another. My wife on the cover of that book that I've been happily married to for 27 years is, is white, green eyes, blonde hair. You know, she's my ride or die. She's been there with me through thick and thin, ups and downs, you know, and I, I don't want to see us separating because that's not going to work. But I am saying that as black people, we have to take an opportunity and no one's going to give it to us. We've got to decide to take it for ourselves, which is to say, Nat Alston, Kenny Hendricks, Colette Williams, Melvin Russell, I'm going to love you with everything I've got. Anything that you need, my time, my talents, my treasures, they're yours. Mikasa Sukasa. You know, I will do everything I can to help you and your family succeed. I will do everything I can to help you and your family through tough times. You know, I, the things that we talk about in the book, you know, those are things based on the 25 things I learned during my first 25 years of marriage. And guess what? I'm still learning from people like Nat Austin, who just celebrated he and his beautiful wife 50 years of marriage. I learn something every single time we talk about that because I surround myself with people who build into me for a reason so that I can become a better man, so I can be of more service to my community. We have all got to take that attitude and not just rise up when someone gets killed, but rise up every single day. Make that our part-time job. You know, we gotta put time and effort into it. We gotta love each other with that tough love that, that doesn't fade away. We've got to do that. We've got to do that. So September 17th, join us for, 
for that one day, and hopefully you'll like it so much that you'll do it the next day. Did you say where it was, uh, uh, AJ? I didn't hear that. Loveistheanswermovement.com. No, no, no. I mean, where the event was going to happen. Yeah. Everywhere people are. Wherever you are, Kenny. Okay. Wherever you are that day, you can, you can participate virtually. You can, you can get together with a group of people virtually or in person. But, but really, we're telling people just, just find, take that pledge. You'll see the pledge on the website. It's on the homepage. Take that pledge and put it into action that day with at least one person in your life, preferably someone who you're not close to that, so, that you need to pay a little bit more attention to. Loveistheanswer.com? Right? Loveistheanswermovement.com. Oh, movement. Okay. Movement. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And, AJ, we're going to uh, add some of that to our website. We'll add that to our Thank website. You. And and we'll do what we can to get that message out. It needs to get out. It really needs to get out. We are, and I say it frequently, we're the only ethnicity that is still suffering and still struggling. We're the only ones. We are the only ones. Black folks are the only ones. Because you never hear any other ethnicity or race talk about their struggle as much as we talk about ours nobody is in the struggle like we are nobody and no matter how much we talk about it doesn't change it doesn't change so you're right we we have to do something and love must be the answer we have to do something yeah yeah talk never built a house you know you can you can talk about what the house looks like you know, you can talk about what you want in it. You can talk about your dream house, but at some point you got to pick up tools and you got to get to work. And that's where we are right now. We have got to pick up these tools and we have got to get to work and we've got to stay at work until this job is done. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Nat, do you have any closing remarks? My closing remarks would be to you, Colette and Kenny. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Melvin, do you have any closing remarks? You know, there, there, I'll just say this. One of my favorite songs that you would think was just written yesterday was written by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes featuring Teddy Pendergrass. Yes. And it simply says, wake up. I knew you were going to say that. Wake up, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, when you <laughs> listen to that today. Everybody. And those words still ring true today. So for all yes. your listeners, especially our people, wake I up. Said, Claudette, I mean, uh, Colette, you said uh, we got to wake up by tomorrow. You know, yesterday is gone. Wake up. Wake up. Wake, wake up, everybody. So uh, you, since you brought up Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes, hey, Marvin Gaye, what's, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? And it's interesting that you say that uh, on the 14th, we're doing, uh, what is it? Um, It's time to tell the truth. We've done a five-part series on it's time to tell the truth. And the series began with Black men in white coats, which are the doctors. And by Mm -hmm. the way, we've got about 30 doctors on our uh, ITRN roster, about 30 doctors who are part of the ITRN family. The uh, one after that was uh, 
well, part three was COVID-19. We had to do COVID-19. Part two was Juneteenth, Tulsa, reparations, and where we go from here. We will close uh, in October with the fifth one. And that one is going to be, we're going to touch on a lot of things. But the next one, which is on the 14th of September, we're doing rap, hip hop, and it's destruction. Mm. Is it about entertainment, money, or what is it about? So we, again, we're talking about what's going on. Wake up everybody. And the music that we will be talking about does not even come close. It's, a, it's a stretch to call it music. It's us. It ain't even music. So we have not shown pride. We have not shown pride in Marvin Gaye's What's Going On. And that album is a historic piece. Mm-hmm. That is historic. Mm-hmm. What's going on? That is historic. Harold Belvin and Blue Notes, that is historic. Chris Jasper, Caravan of Love. Yes. Mm. Every woman, every man joined the Caravan of Love. Yes, that's right. And those, those sounds will never, ever go away. But what our kids are stuck on is that stuff that's so damaging. That stuff that is so incredibly damaging. And we had someone on the show. I'm going to make this quick. We had someone on the show and we were talking about uh, Cardi B. Cardi B and the stallion. She ought to be insulted because the stallion is a horse. So she should be insulted. Well, there was a mention about those two. And someone said on the show, well, yeah, they're all those things, but uh, Megan, the stallion, graduated from a college. They thought it was USC, but it's not USC. She graduated. She's got uh, a degree. Cardi B is a nothing. She's just a... a I think Cardi entrepreneur. B plays flute, and I think Megan plays violin. Okay, Megan may play violin, and Izzy, no, Izzy Lizzie, or whatever her name is. Lizzo. She plays the flute. Lizzo. What's Lizzo plays the Lizzo. She plays the flute. Yeah, she plays the flute. Okay. But Cardi B is the one that did an expose on Malcolm X's wife, Coretta Scott King, was Betty Shabazz, Coretta Scott King. Uh not an ex- it was not an expose. Um, well, it wasn't an expose. It was it was a shameful display of what she thought about those women. And mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was horrible. It was horrible. It was absolutely horrible. It was Betty Shabazz, Coretta Scott King, Rosa Parks, and there was one other. I can't remember who the other one was. But she took their presence in this country and turned it into something so disgusting. And she was the interviewer, and she was talking about their husbands and, and how they felt about their husbands and what their husbands had done, their place, how they, how they were placed in history. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to do with civil rights or the black community. And they turned it into something that was so disgusting and filthy. And it was terrible. And people still went after 
just like Nat said, influencers. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, influencers. Yeah. Yeah. And she, it, it was, it was filthy. It was absolutely filthy. And she felt nothing about it. She felt nothing about it to create such a disparaging, disparaging display of, I don't know, I don't even know what to call it, but it was, it was filthy. It was, it was disgusting. It was vulgar. Coretta Scott King, are you kidding me? Coretta Scott King, Betty Shabazz, Rosa Parks, those women turned over in their graves because of what Cardi B did and how she portrayed them because the portrayal was so disgusting and vulgar. And if you know anything about Cardi B, you know it was disgusting. Oh, yeah, but yeah. The black community said nothing about it except, oh, did you see that? Mm. Oh, did you see that? That and WAP. When she got a Grammy for WAP and it's all over the place. And they're, they're, and they're just building like, that stuff up. Right. And uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, what's the woman's name? Um, what's the woman's name who she has a television? She's the equalizer now. Oh, Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah gave the Oscar to the group that had the song It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. Mm. Remember that? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And Queen Latifah jumped up, she screamed, she ran and got the Oscar and she was on cloud 39 because that group won an Oscar for It's Hard Out Here for a Pimp. And black folks weren't mad. And just like Denzel won an Oscar for Training Day, right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right, for the white, where the white boy, where the white rookie became the hero, right, and he did not win the Oscar. Well, we got about Colette. We got about thirty seconds. Okay, he did not win an Oscar for his portrayal of Malcolm X. Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. Okay, but that's right. It's hard yeah. out here for a pimp won an Oscar. So where and and where are we going? Where are we heading? Right. Absolutely. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The conversation will continue. And thank you, Matt. I will be sending you information. Thank you so much. And this cannot stop. We cannot stop the conversation. The conversation must continue. So we appreciate you for being with us. AJ, thank you for allowing me to grab thank you, AJ. you the way I did. Good talking thank to you, Nat. Good to meet you, you um, uh, Melvin. All you brothers. Thank you so Thank much. You all. Thank you. Alrighty. Take care, guys. All right. Much love. Much love. Great to talk to you. Great to see you. We will continue the conversation and be with us on the next show. We'll do. Okay. Cool.